Hello and welcome to this Rugby Bits and Pieces podcast as we take a look at the upcoming semi-final between England and the Springboks. Uh, both sides have been announced and we are joined by Charlie who has been with us before a little while back. Um, Charlie um, on Twitter is at Charlie Felix and he writes for Telegraph Sports. So if you enjoy rugby and hearing about the premiership in England and a lot more than just South Africa... Um, please give him a follow. But Charlie, welcome back. Thanks very much for having me back. I was, um, I think last time I chose my uh, World Cup England team and I was trying to rack my brains to remember how many of them made it. And oh. I can't I can't actually remember, fortunately, because God knows how what it was and how much it's changed since then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I should remember that now. We that was that was a long that was even way before they wanted to get rid of Eddie Jones, or should I say some of the media. So Yo, that was some time back. I tell you what, you you probably wouldn't have been far off. I think most of the guys, most of them are pretty much in the mix. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive straight into it. So both England and South Africa have named their squads. We're not going to go through them. Um, but what we are going to do is chat about a few other things. And joining us today is uh, one of the Rugby Bits legends, Cooks. Hi, mate. How are you? Thank you. Um, yeah, feeling, I'm feeling. I must say, I'm feeling quite nervous for the weekend, and um, I must. And also, it's great to finally be on with Charlie. I missed the last time, out, so I made sure that um, that I've got to be here since Charlie. I made uh, oh, right. a bet saying that England's going to win, is going to get to the final. I just didn't think they'll play the box in the semi final, so it's a bit of a conflict of interest. Conflict of interest for me right now. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, I'm I'm also. I'm nervous. I love being nervous before Springbok games. Uh, I hate not being nervous. Ironically, I wasn't nervous before Ireland. I don't know why. Maybe, oh, I don't know, but I hate it. I, I like getting the nerves going. And uh, before the quarterfinal, I think from the Sunday already, I was feeling it. And this week, I've probably from Monday already. So, but let's dive straight in. Charlie, the first thing that, that hits me about this England squad is Ellis Genge and Carl Sinclair on the bench. Um, so they're starting Joe Marlon and Dan, Dan Cole uh, up front. And for me, that really looks like they want to be quite a little bit, probably more mobile in the last 30 to 35 minutes. What are your thoughts on on the squad and where you think Borthwick and Co are going? I think that's spot on to, to start off with, Sean. I think they want to want to finish kind of strongly, finish with mobile guys on the pitch. The template, a little bit of the template might be their... Um, Ironically, against totally different opponents, but again, the game against Japan, they finished really fast, really strong, came through for a bonus point after a pretty edgy start. I think they'll be mindful of just past games against South Africa and how the scrum narrative has gone against them really violently and then sh and shaped the rest of the game. So, and a big example would be the obviously be the World Cup final last time and Dan Cole having to come on. Um, after uh, was it five minutes and just having to last having to last that long so I think it's probably a safer place he's he's clearly not the most mobile front row in the world but the set piece smarts are right up there and I think it's just this kind of safer call you know what would be an interesting shout is that you could see that depending on how the game goes you could see those certainly Cole swapping with Sinclair after 30 or something like that mm. um, but I just and as a sort of homage to what to what you guys have been doing for so long but just just that gives them a bit more bit more um 
variation to stay in the type five i think the selection of george martin is super interesting because and it points to me to sort of infield kicking game george martin's come on the scene is fantastic tackler maybe gives a bit more a bit more punch in the in the tight carry than Chesham does but certainly it's a really interesting 23 the way you the way they've ordered it Charlie, what's the the mood like i think obviously i mean around camp and obviously like england as well i think obviously a lot of people coming into the tournament didn't even think you guys would make it through the group stage um and just the ways and now sort of it feels like it's been like a bit of a slow burner um, Steve Borthwick sort of found a game plan that's a, a, basically a World Cup winning game plan. We know the screen box is similar to how we play in 2019 and it sort of developed as the tournament's gone. I thought your attack was the basis looked under Steve Borthwick last week against Fiji. Where do you think he's, he's going to sort of look at playing this weekend? Is it a, a, a bit of a mixed bag or are we going straight back to how it was against the Argentina first day and basically kicking the leather of the rugby ball and trying to be set-piece dominant? I think slow burner is a really polite way of putting it, um, but it's certainly been certainly been a process. It's been, um, but it kind of had to be um, just because of the moving parts of Steve Borthwick taking over, and then Alad Walters coming in, who he worked with after he after Walters finished up with South Africa, he moved to moved to Leicester Tigers and worked with Steve Borthwick there. And those two are really tight, work together really well on um, matters of sort of strategy and conditioning. They're sort of really, really tightly intertwined. I think England have a template for how to play quite well against South Africa and trouble South Africa. And they have a template on a sort of that get them a total thrashing. And they've done both in the last World Cup cycle. It's obviously 1-1 between the sides since the last World Cup final in the first game, both at Twickenham and in South Africa, under strength for both of them, admittedly. But in the first game, um, England kicked. England actually didn't have a very strong type five to call upon um, because of injuries and things like that. I think Ellis Gange was out with COVID. Um, Marla was on the bench, but starting loose head was Bevan Rod. Starting hooker was Jamie Blumeyer with Nick Dolly on the bench. So they were sort of compromised there, but what they had to do and what they did kick really cleverly, um, take their chance, take the try scoring chances, scored three tries with quite sort of incisive set piece stuff. Um, so there are two things that they absolutely have to do right. What they did in the, what turned out to be Eddie Jones's last game in charge was lose every contest that you could think of. They were a long way second best at the scrum. Aerially, they're absolutely nowhere in that game. And they're also in the middle of this sort of phase when they were trying to, they had... Um, Smith 10, Farrell 12, and they were just trying to explore sort of moving the ball a bit more because Eddie Jones felt that England would have to do that to win the next World Cup. He was just trying to develop that side of the game and um and South Africa ate it up. They were just they were just dominant that game. I was there for, for that game and just and it felt more it was 27-13, I think, but it felt heavier than that. And um South Africa had a had a sending off as well, but just just looked really just looked dominant in that game. Um so yeah, as I say, I think the Argentina game is a, is a they'll certainly have to do some of the things they did well that day well again, but I think they'll also have to have to be sort of even even sharper with how they move the ball um, and 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 be solid everywhere else. Yeah, we we almost get to get the kind of feeling that England really have to tighten things up um, and take their points and scoreboard pressure is probably going to be their only friend. Um, but having a look at the loose trio, 
Ironically, is one one of the mistakes that I felt that Eddie Jones made in the 2019 final was not start Courtney Laws on the side of the scrum. Um, England lose trio of Courtney Laws, Tom Curry, and Ben Earl. Ben Earl, for one, has really he's put his hand up, especially at eight. Um, that was quite a challenging transition into that space, but it's almost like only in the World Cup that he started hitting hitting his straps and and he's been cooking. That's quite a confident loose tree at the moment. Um, you think they've got what it takes to to front up to the box? It's, it's a tough, it's a tough ask, and it's you're right to you're right to highlight Ben Earl and and Courtney Laws. They've been standouts, and Laws, if you remember, was he was locked for the World Cup final. Um, starting lock, he was taken off whether it was halftime or just after halftime. Um, Marla, well, Marla came on for Mako Vinopola. Um, George Cruz came on for Courtney Laws, and that solidified England because, I mean, the game was the game was almost well. The narrative was certainly set at, at the scrum by that point because um, Tendai Tawira had been been phenomenal. Um, Laws has has never started a, a test at lock since he's been he's been exclusively at blind side flanker and he's been excellent there. He's had a really good tournament. It's clearly weighing on his mind that it's probably going to be the last time he plays for England and he's been excellent. Um, Earl's had a bit of a different story. He was introduced by Eddie Jones, but I think had 13 um, replacement appearances off the bat and then sort of faded away to come back. And he only actually got his first test start in the warm-ups. But he's he's a really, I have a lot of time and respect for Ben Earl because he's always, and this is kind of quite the, the fickle nature of journalism really, but he's always really honest when he when he gives interviews and he actually isn't frightened of sort of setting himself up. So before the Fiji game, he was asked if he thought he was a big game player. And he said, well, I don't know yet because I've, you know, I've only played in a handful of them for Saracens. I haven't really played in these big test matches. And he and Laws wouldn't even stand out in that, in that game against Fiji, which it did get tight, obviously, towards the end. But they, they were good in a lot of ways and they, they were good enough to sort of build a 24-10 lead and then good enough to sort of win it again. And you, I mean, South Africa fans will know more than anybody that some some big test matches you've got to win twice and three times because the momentum changes so often. So, yeah, uh, that that loose, loose, I think it's a big game for Tom Curry too. He's um, suspended, mm. suspended obviously after um, after that red card he picked up against Argentina, and you, he was almost he was almost there was all, there's almost been a sense of desperation watching him, and you, you'd feel for him really just like this striving to kind of prove himself again. Um, amazing play amazing for England in, in 2019 um it'd be be a kind of timely occasion to to hit those heights again yeah Cooks number fours <laughs> Mario Toji Eben Etzebeth I mean Mario for many many years has been on the cusp of being one of the best fours and there was always up against Eben Eben's cooking at the moment I think a lot of people um don't bring Itoje into that conversation as much because of England's form and, and granted he has wandered a little bit, but that, that lock battle and that loose trio battle, how's, how's that working out for you from a Springbok point of view? I think, I mean, if you look at post 29, I mean, I mean, probably since Itoje probably pretty much became a top, top player and I mean, a world-class player. I think it's always been the big battle, Atoje versus Etzebeth or Atoje versus Boyer Italic or Eben versus Boyer Italic. I think they've been the standard number fours, if you say, in the last six, seven, eight years. And I think with Atoje, I thought he was I thought he was fantastic on against Fiji. I thought he was back to his 
menacing best. You know, Charlie, I always say, I told you, there's so many better spoilers just of line-out malls or rucks. And we were saying that I think Itoja in his spare time just kind of goes to uh, kids' uh, kids' parties and just basically spoils their parties, flips, yeah. <laughs> flips the flipping cupcakes over and things like that. It's just, it's just how he is. Like, at his best, and I think it's his battle with Isabeth is always, it's always been impressive because sort of it, they have different type of builds, you know, they sort of different type of games. And it's it's always amazing how the two of them get the best out of each other. I think this weekend will be no different because, I mean, Eben is coming off an absolute amazing test, one of his best is played for the Springboks. And it told you sort of finding form at the right time as well. I, th- I, th- I thought it was brilliant on, on the weekend. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see how he goes and, I don't know, Charlie, how, how are you feeling about Itoja's form at the moment? I, I definitely think he's getting a lot better, almost back to the standard he has set over the last few years. I, th- I think he, I think when he is, inverted commas, sort of down on his best, I think that's exaggerated. I think he's sort of almost been, mm. he's been a victim of his own sort of consistency and excellence over the years. Having said that, even Etzevet, I think, is, is on another level to... Any other lock and most other forwards on the planet at the minute. He, he, I was really lucky to go and um, I actually can't remember what it was, but I was, I, I've been sort of tallying their career games against each other, and I went to watch. Um, I was covering Saracens against Toulon in the Challenge Cup, not last season, the season before, and even at Sabeth. I don't think he'd, he'd, he either he hadn't played very much for Toulon or he'd been quite sort of underwhelming up to that point for Toulon, and he was. Awesome. He he just rose to the occasion clearly of of Itoji coming to the mile and he was superb. I think it's really it's a great point you make, Cooks, about him, about Itoji being comfortable without the ball. And sometimes sometimes he sort of tends to when a side has kept possession for a long time, it seemed like he's been quite quiet in the game, but you can be sure that he's hit a lot of rucks. Where Ibn Etzabeth seems to have taken, sort of gone up a level, is just that carrying um those you know he's on the end of those tip passes and he's pretty and he obviously scored the knee against against France with a seriously powerful finish and then also just that craft around the ruck and just always thinking I know well it was probably forward wasn't it the the bang the ball back um from Dupont's pass but geez to even think about that is just is just shows where he's operating he's um he's a fantastic player I think Toji will rise to rise to to the um to the occasion on Saturday because I just think that's all roads have led to this really for him. Um and yeah it's uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun watching them for sure. I think I think Itoje and even for me Romeo plays like you said I agree with you Charlie Itoje when he's in inverted commas down in form he does get exaggerated but I've always said Itoje's six seven is some of the best is is another blocks eight or nine out of ten. But if yeah. Toja and Ibn are operating at a 9 or 10, they, they, they're probably the best players in the field. And that's yeah, always yeah. been the case. And I think that's, it is gradually, I think also it is a dig on England's form as well. So it's like, okay, and sort of trying to pile up everyone in there. And and, and talking about England's form, I thought, and Saturday's game, I thought Farrell as well had one, one of his best tests in a long time. I said, Raggy Burst and Sean Evan and Tyler Wallace mentioned that we just feel England, you have to start either Ford or Farrell. I think the time of playing... Four to ten and and, and Farrell twelve is, is is probably gone, and you sort of got to start with either one. What do you make of Farrell's uh, form, and Charlie? And what would you do? Would you still go back to the ten, twelve, or Ford and Farrell, or do you happy with one on the bench? Oh, I, th- I think I think it's interesting to have during have a, an interesting to have that option during the game. 
I think where it's fallen down is just it's been so long since um, since it's had a run. And I know they had they sort of obviously built up that cohesion as kids and then playing for, you know, they, it was it's 40 odd tests they played together, isn't it? And or started together even in a more more during the game as sort of when replacements have come on. Um, Farrell's suspension during the work, during the, well, first of all, if we go back to Eddie Jones, just seemingly losing interest in George Ford for a start. Um, so he wasn't playing sort of towards the, a rap from, I think it was the 2001, 2021 summer, um, was just sort of phased out so that Marcus Smith could, could build up game time. Um, so you had that and then, and then Farrell was injured, suspended, and then Farrell's red card during the warm-up games just meant that they weren't able to play during those games. I think that was a plan to try and build that back. But to answer your question, I think Farrell at 10 with a playmaker at 15 and maybe another one at 11, as he has as he has at Saracens with Alex Good and, and Elliot Daly and sometimes Max Malins as well, or previously Max Malins obviously gone to Bristol now. Um, that suits him better. That's a sort of better... Um, I think you're getting more out of Owen Farrell in attack. I certainly think you're getting your you're uh, compromising him less in defence as well. Um, I always felt that he'd he'd go well against Fiji. You don't drop. Uh, I think I think if you've got Owen Farrell in your squad, you're starting him for every warm up game. That's just it's the, these are the sort of occasions that he he loves. So yeah, but it's a it's a huge game for him too, obviously, because um, I think that I certainly think the Ford Farrell. Eddie Jones is on record, isn't he, as saying that the Ford Farrell kind of 10-12, he he wouldn't have picked in the in the final had he had his time again and he would have um he would have kind of reverted back. The other thing is Manu Tulagi, I don't think, has that lateral speed to be a 13 anymore. And I can't remember um I can't remember who, but certainly the last time I was on, somebody was really high on Joe Marchant. And that's um that's come through that's really me. that's that's I'm a big yeah, fan. Like, I love him. Yeah, Sean, that's a really that's come through. That's a hell of a good shout because he has been superb. And he's his lateral speed with Tui Laggy, it looks like England sort of finally have that midfield balance that they have been fudging potentially for a few years. Yeah, um oh it's it's been good. And he's and the nice thing about Marchant is he can he covers wing quite comfortably as well. And I think that's where Eddie put him mostly. But sticking with the with the halfbacks, so the way I saw it um, with Reinach and Lubbock against France, and uh, obviously the pack involved was all about disrupting Antoine Dupont because everything runs through him. In England, everything runs for, through Farrell, but I think with Reinach being there and Ben O'Keefe still there, where the contest is 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 a contest for longer, it looks like. Alex Mitchell's going to get targeted again and not because he's a general, because he's going to be playing passing to the general, you know, and Farrell, how, like what sort of, how do you think the breakdown is going to be? And obviously I think we all are pretty well aware that Owen Farrell is perfectly capable of managing that space, but how do you think Alex Mitchell's going to manage it? Or am I being a little bit disrespectful to him? No, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I'm surprised to be honest that he's started Mitchell because Mitchell wasn't in the initial 33. They went mm. with um, Jack Van Portfley and two, which which was quite interesting itself, went with Jack Van, Jack Van Portfley and two of the experienced guys in Youngs and Care. Um, now, um, Eddie Jones sort of had this theory that he needed one, one controlling scrum half, one scrum half to break the game up, and then one experienced scrum half. And Borthwick went with two scrum halves. 
and that that whole dichotomy is really interesting so i'll get around to the question but just how borthwick opted for experience and jones didn't with australia i find that i found that really interesting but to go back to the to the scrum halves yes i'm i'm surprised because that is a big area and and south africa are gonna target the breakdown because mitchell has committed a few errors as far as that those box kicks either they haven't been contestable one one against Samoa gave a penalty gave up a penalty and then and very near and gave up a disallowed try because sliced up in the air and England were offside at 15-3 up against Fiji there was a kick out on the full which invited pressure sort of needlessly it leads me to think though that they're going to kick more off 10 um on Saturday than they have done rather than sort of going to the box kick um that would bring I think they'd be they were talking about that throughout pre-season and it didn't really happen. They, they actually, what they did was look, they, I know that they studied quite quite carefully the um, New Zealand performance against South Africa in Auckland and how um, how New Zealand didn't box kick a lot. They they kicked they kicked from 10 and then from 12 and even wider. So that's one thing to, to look out for is actually Mitchell starting, but just um, how much he kicks would be would be one thing to look out for because I think if he is just there as almost just to fizz the ball away from Farrell and get that kicking off 10. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if that was in their thinking. Charlie, I mean, I must say it's this week, this week has been a weird build-up. I think for us Africans, so often we are in a position where we are this much of a favourite over England. I, I do kind of feel it's a bit of a reverse from 2019 where sort of England were the big favourites and we and then we sort of coming as an underdog tag and you guys we you you came up beating the All Blacks. We can we come up with a massive win against France. So sort of do you feel like you, I mean and you guys you and, and the English fans feel like it's sort of a you have nothing to lose this weekend. You are the underdogs. Um I mean like not many people thought you'd be here. So do you think in the camp also and also do you think there is a slight element of revenge from the last World Cup, or the players are obviously aren't thinking about that? But um, do you definitely feel you guys have nothing to lose this weekend? Um, yes and no. I think I think I think um, the draw meant that anything less than the semi final would have been quite jarring, um, because it's because the draw is night and day, isn't it? Depending on what what side you are, and and England are unbeaten, but they've they have beaten Argentina, Japan, Samoa, Chile, and then Fiji, which losing to any of them, maybe bar, maybe barring Argentina, would be would be a bit of a, a shock. Um, so, but sort of now that there, so I think now there will have been a sort of they've planned this really well. And um, I, I mentioned Alan Waters earlier; he's the the conditioning that they've done just about to kind of tweet out a story about Alad Waters and how his how his conditioning has been tailored to the draw and everything like that. Um so I think they but having said that they are they might maybe freed up by being underdogs. And I certainly think I certainly think, you know, they're only human. They will definitely be thinking about that World Cup final defeat, which Steve Borthwick was part of as as Falls coach as well. So he'll have had ideas about how to go about troubling South Africa for a long time. And it's going to be fascinating. I think the bookies have it as 13, 13 point, um, sort of 13 point handicap. And um, I just think, you know, stick within a score for as long as possible in England and you never know. Yeah. Oof, interesting. 
just to dive a little deep into that, because I know you a little bit push for time, but where where's the focus for England? I mean, we've we've we all kind of know the gist of what needs to come, but where do you feel are the most important parts for England to either hang on or or build on in the beginning if they are to win this? Like if they are to win this, what what sort of blueprints are they looking at? I'd say, as as I said there, I would say just just massive accuracy as far as exits. They don't want to mess around with unnecessary rucks behind halfway just because I have a feeling that, that South Africa would definitely go, go after them there. Um, as I say, really interested as to how they go about the kicking game and how much they do it off nine. I don't think... I think Ben Young's coming in would have would have signposted to more kicking off nine than Alex Mitchell being there. Um, and where that kicking goes, because... I don't think they'll want to feed South Africa's line out very much. I think you'll, you'll, I imagine you get this a lot all the time with people, people thinking, how can you break down South Africa trying to keep the ball in play time pretty high? Um, and that suggests to me that's, a, that's, that would, I would think that would be part of the reason behind, sorry, behind Martin coming in for Chesham. Chesham's, Chesham's had a really good tournament. It's a fantastic player, got a big future. Um, one of his super strengths is that spring at the front of the line-out. Martin is less of a line-out jumper. He's sort of heavier. Still still a big lad, though, but his, his, he's, a, he's a really good, um, really good tackler, really good, really good tight carrier. So that, that suggests to me that it would be a bit more sort of phase play. Um I think just I think just sticking in those battles, sticking sticking in the scrums, sticking the scrum battles, sticking um, sticking in that aerial battle. They've there've been hints against against Argentina. There are a lot of hints of using um, Freddie Stewart on the front foot. Um, he was he was really good that game that I'm talk, that I was talking about in 2021 um, as more of a sort of fielding South Africa's kicks. Um, but there were signs against Argentina, albeit with George Ford at uh, ten of imparting pressure and using using Stuart as that sort of primary chaser. So it'll be interesting to see that happening. Um but just just winning those just winning those battles and, and some I can't so I apologize I can't remember who mentioned it, but taking taking points absolutely. Um I'd be very surprised if there weren't at least there wasn't at least one drop goal attempt for sure. Nice, nice. Well Cooks and I are going to carry on chatting a little bit about the books, but I know that you're a little bit under under pressure. So Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate your time. I know it's an absolute mad day with the with the squads being announced, and uh, we can't wait to have you back. So thank you. No, no worries. Thanks, Charlie. Enjoy, enjoy the weekend, guys. You too, man. Ciao. Cooks. Oh. Yeah. So here we are now. Very surprisingly, and I think for a lot of us, we we're quite surprised that the Springboks have named the exact same match day twenty three. I thought maybe there was a 6-2 split coming, but I definitely thought there was going to be change elsewhere. I, th- I really thought Visa might get a shot for the start, but what's going down? Do you know what's funny? It's like, Rossi <laughs> 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 and, 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 and Jorke and Rossi actually throws the elf into a flip and tailspin because, <laughs> because we're so used to these changes, right? And, and, and how they actually, and how they're going to tinker and what's going to happen is 6-2 is 7-1. What's going to happen is I think back on the days when, back in the dark days when we used to not know what Springbok side was going to be picked and we begged <laughs> for consistency, seeing the same team week in, week out. And now that we do it, we go, what's going on? Yes. Where's the changes? Yes. Like, we should not. <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was very interesting. You know, I think it's um, it's one of those things, Sean. I think, yes, 
a, a lot more thought will be changed in terms of like with um, horses for courses, how we approach England. But I do think so. The box are giving it to one of those. It's actually the most old school, traditional way of just repaying the guys who played well the week before. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, don't miss it. It's the sorcery. Water, like, it's like <laughs> you're so used to the sorcery and trying to think in the coach's head. It's, it's guys, it's just go with what worked last week. And I, <laughs> and I definitely think the side is also built to beat, uh, to beat England. I do think. The, the, I think obviously I think you thought of six two. I think obviously you try to dominate England um, up front, but more up front. But um, it's not a very good side. But yeah, I definitely did not. Of all the bingo cards that I had, uh, unchanged side was not was not on there. No, for sure, for sure. So I think the big the big thing would be having having Reinach and Lebok, um starting and Dwayne starting, but. It, Let's more focus on on England and and how we're going to beat England. Um, and when you say that we've named the side to beat England, where are the pressure points for the Springboks? Uh, Charlie's just let us know where where England need to execute and how they need to do. But where are our pressure points? How are we going to be focused on moving forward and beating them? Sean, I think um, I think obviously, I mean, our pack is obviously a massive, massive in this and Sepi's dominant. I think Sepi's going to be a massive battle because. England does have a fantastic lineup. The lineup's been very good all, all, all World Cup long. I think it's something that we can target because that's where they sort of went to work against Fiji last week. And I do think that at scrum time with um, Genge and Sinclair on the bench, I think it is to counter Trevor and um, Tre- Trevor and uh, Kofkos. You, you, you would say Genge and Sinclair are probably the, the, their starting props, but I do think Marlos is a very good scrummer. So even going against, against Franz Mahelba and I mean, Dan Cole's probably still have nightmares. So Kitsy and um, Beast to him, but at least now he's got fresh legs. He hasn't, he hasn't <laughs> had to face Kitsy after 60 minutes. So I think that's going to be a, a good battle because Dan Cole is a good scrammer. What, what he lacks, uh, mobility wise, he makes up with his scrumming. So I think set pieces is going to be a massive battle, but I do think uh, the Springboks will also back themselves with the ball in hand against England um, with, with, um, with Renak and Marnie. I think it's definitely something that we will we, we will look to challenge them, I think, because I, I do think our pack can get more goal football than we did against France. I do think we can be slightly, slightly a lot more possession than we did against France. I do think so. Uh, it's weird to say, but I do think we'll be a little bit more expansive. I think we'll have more ball in hand time as we had uh, uh, instead against France. So I do think we can hurt them with ball in hand, but it's going to be very interesting because I think what England's done well, I mean, I know Marcus Smith's injured, but I still think pretty sure would have started. I think England have, have probably found a way to sort of match the Springboks high ball attack with Stewart and Daly. So it's going to be interesting to see how we approach that. But it's it's um it's it's, it's a very interesting approach because with England, I think they're a very smart side, extremely smart side. And I think it's going to be interesting how we go. But I think, sure, the most important thing for us is to get to a good start. Um, I don't want us to go have to go back down to the deep waters and dig as deep as we did against France. I'm so worried. I think we were worried about emotional fatigue and fatigue. So, and I think it's hard to go back to that place three weeks in a row because um, including the final as well. So I think a, a good start is very, very imperative for us. Some, something we didn't get against France, and I think this weekend, I think we sort of well. I think we can get that 13, 15 point win. Yeah, the big pressure points for me, I think, are the England lineout threats defensively and on attack. So I'm quite interested in that. And as you mentioned earlier, Maritaje as a as a more more defender, he's he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. 
The other thing for me that I think England, I would probably like, if I was an English fan, what I would like to see them do is probably use Freddie Stewart a little bit more on, on like setting up the attack. So that first mm. phase ball, and then what it does is it then opens up for the likes of Tulagi and Marchand to move wider. Um, and then if they get quick ball, which they should, um, then, you know, then they get to strike. And, you know, I mean, imagine having relatively broken defense to run up against when you've got Tulagi and uh, Marchand, you know, I think that's pretty good. And the other thing, England are very clearly... Ex- ex- I'm excluding the Vunipola on the bench side, but I mean, that's just a big body to do, you know, because you need someone to do the hard work. But England very much for me are going to up the tempo. They've got Theo Dan, Ellis Genge, Carl Sinclair coming in, in the second half or 35 minutes to go. Danny Kerr, George Ford, Ollie Lawrence. Like, you know, that's that's quite a statement. And they're probably looking at knocking the Springboks off their feet who have just all come off an absolute bruiser against the French. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's a very good bench. Shocking. I think it's, um, I think Steve Boyfick has done very, very well with how he's picked that balance to the side. I had a feeling he's going to tweak a few things. I thought maybe he'll go 6-2, throwing in a Lewis Ladlam or someone like that just to match the Guaca, 100% the Guaca effect. I think it's, um, the Guaca effect is something with the Springboks. I, I was thinking this other day, like it's, you have to find a way to match it. You have to sort of find a way, have a player that can go like for like. I think it's interesting that he's gone with, with a big Billy Bonapolo. Like, I've always said this big Bonapolo does not play well against Springboks, but I think <laughs> it's. I think maybe the trick was also stepping on the bench, but um, I think it's interesting. It's a big boy, and, and he has actually gone slowly up under the radar, but gone nicely as he's come off the bench. But it's a good bench, and 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 I think the Springboks they almost be looking to slow down the tempo with, with our bench, you know, with the, the experienced guys, the really. Andre Faf sort of kick a little bit more. So it's going to be an interesting battle of styles of the bench. I think that's also a massive thing. I think, especially at a 5-3, I, I do think sometimes when we go 5-3, it sort of, it slightly weakens our advantage in terms of the pack. And yes, it opens up with the backs. But like I thought for France, a 5-3 was perfect. But I, def- I definitely thought we'd see 6-2 this weekend. I definitely thought we would emphasize our strength, especially the pack ones. And and I think because I think England obviously they've gone the they've gone obviously trying to lift the tempo at the end and and sort of made those few tweaks. So it, it is interesting. I, I thought we'd also sort of make our own tweaks as well. Yeah. So I tell you one thing. I'm glad the nerves are here because I, I love being nervous, as I mentioned. Um, but we've got a massive semi final against us, and as you said, the roles have completely reversed um, from 2019 to 2023. But that is. Yeah, that's going to wrap it up. I think, you know, we've really taken a nice dive and it was awesome having Charlie on board. Um, but now we've got to, you know, just sit and wait, wait for kickoff. Fortunately, uh, tomorrow night we've uh, we've got semi-final one, um, New Zealand versus Argentina. And then and then on Saturday, we take on, New Zealand, on England. New Zealand love a game on a Friday, Shockey. Love yeah. a game on a Friday, these, this week. <laughs> yeah. And I think they're a little sneaky nervous against Argentina, but... Having said that, I also I think, think they're so, in well. such incredible vibe. Like if they just get their head in the right space, they'll just destroy them. But yeah, so... Yeah, 100%. Oh man, I'm excited. But that's going to wrap it up. And just a massive thank you for everyone who came uh, came on to listen. Please uh, get in touch with us on social media and you can comment on, on what we've had to say and our thoughts on it and where you feel it's going to be won or lost for England or South Africa. 
Um, but yeah, keep a listen out and keep a lookout for more podcasts. We'll definitely be pre- previewing a little bit more. And we've obviously got the whole of next week, whether we're playing in 3-4 or for, for the title. So yeah, um, lots more to come. So thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Rugby Bits podcast. Cheers, guys.